Welcome to Up Close with Chris Tinney. Don't forget to visit ChrisTinney.com for more information about today's topics and download the new Spread Peace app that makes it easy to take action and advocate for the causes you care about. And now, here's your host, Chris Tinney. Welcome back to the Up Close with Chris Tinney. And folks, I want to thank you for a great week online. I always say this show isn't just about this one hour. It's about hanging out during the week and creating a community of people that can really have an impact. Even if that's just sharing something online, sharing one of the posts to hear our speaker that we're going to have today. What an awesome thing to share on your social media so other people can become educated about the, the challenges, the real challenges that people have with poverty. And this week, we're going to be talking to Scott Miller. He's the, he's the founder of Circles USA. He's also the author of two books. Uh, the, the one we're going to be talking about today is The Circles Story, How Circles Can Help Your Community Find Ways to Resolve potter, Poverty and Thrive. And, and I just want to share with you my own personal story. As you know, Taish and I traveled around the country serving the homeless and making videos from our RV. That's how a lot of you know us, and a lot of you are joining us from our traditional radio stations that we've been on, whether that's KDWN in Las Vegas or the Tantalk Radio Network in the Southeast or even Cappy up in, in uh, the Northwest. I've had a lot of people messaging me from, from way back in the day. Uh, but one of the most touching things, kind of a light bulb went on once. We were, had been serving this particular tent city in Reno, Nevada uh, for about six months. And somebody came up and handed me a book, one of my homeless friends. And he said, would you be an ally? And I said, well, of course I'm your ally. What do you need? He goes, no, no, there's some responsibility here. You need to read this book. And, and I read this book and I could not believe what I was reading because it was like a light bulb went on. For the first time, I really felt that somebody had cracked the code on how to lift people out of poverty. And I started wondering, you know, how many more sandwiches do I need to make a day or a week or a month or a year to actually have an impact out here? And I know that there is no big or small when it comes to, to helping others. But what if there was a way we could all work together? What if there was a way that we could help lift people out of poverty in our community, in our neighborhoods, with our friends? And you might ask yourself, why is this important? Well, right now, for the first time, more than half of our children that are living, going to school are living in poverty. For the first time in 50 years, a majority of the U.S. students are in low-income families. They are experiencing food insecurity. And for me, this really represents our future. And so that's why I was so thrilled when I was able to get a hold of Scott Miller, the, the founder of Circles USA, and invite him to be on here so you can learn how you can start to use some of these principles in your own life. What I love about what he talks about is these are universal principles. These are principles that you can apply. Who do you hang around? Maybe you want to look at how these people are influencing your, your, not only your life, but your income. How can you have an impact? Who can you work with? Who can you partner with? And he does it by creating something called Circles. So with that, I'm going to introduce you and thank you for being on the show. Scott Miller, thank you for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. Well, maybe you could just share with people. I know a lot of people think, oh, it's getting better, and, and, and it's not. I mean, when I look at the statistics that you shared with me last week on the phone and followed up with some research that you suggested, I, I really see that the, the income inequality is getting bigger and bigger. The amount of people that are experiencing poverty uh, is, is getting bigger and bigger. And more and more organizations are coming together to, to serve them with you know, food or shelter or needs. Maybe you could share your analysis of where we are today and then kind of share with us, uh, you know, we'll transition from that into what we can do about it. Sure. Well, I, 
I got involved with poverty through uh, some volunteer work I did as a college student. I had been raised in the suburbs of uh, Rochester, New York, and I was raised with a sense of security about money. And I, <clears throat> but I had had um, a feeling of isolation that came out of uh, I think that suburban experience. There was a sense of I'm not sure everyone's got my back. And I went to school, had a very difficult time, and in that process, found my way into volunteering with people who were really feeling uh, isolated and really feeling desperate. And that was a wake-up call to me about how this country is approaching poverty. What I learned fairly quickly was most of the resources and energy is spent reacting to poverty, managing it, trying to keep people uh, a little bit safer. Um, A lot of energy is spent by people who are struggling in poverty to get program supports in order to meet basic needs. And so it, it sort of puts people into this um, tyranny of the moment where, you know, you just really can think about things a little bit at a time, a day at a time. It's hard to think ahead and start planning. And there's hardly any uh, organization. And when I when I started looking around to see, well, what can we do after we give people food and shelter? It was hard to find an organization that was going to be committed to a relationship that would lead towards people being stable and out of poverty. And that was how I began this uh, this work because I, I just feel today, which is now, I don't know how many more years it's been since I was a volunteer. I guess if I did the math, it'd be frightening, but probably 35 years ago, something like that. <laughs> and, uh, I, I take a look at where we're at now. And I would say that the conversation about poverty is probably at the highest level we've ever seen in the last 35 years, certainly. And maybe since the war on poverty was, initially launched, there was quite a bit of conversation about it then, but that was quickly put to the side when we got deep into Vietnam. So the war on poverty really, as a strategy, was only set for being concluded in 10 years, which was a naive assumption, and it didn't really have the kind of strategies that we now know would really make the difference. So I would say that the window is wide open at the national dialogue to be talking about big strategies around poverty. And I think where we're at is trying to transition from being good at managing resources uh, uh, and managing our compliance with those resources so nobody gets any resource that they shouldn't get, which is a big deal for a lot of the federal programs. We're now shifting towards what if the accountability for federal and state programs were to be able to show that people have progressed you know, up and out of poverty? have they been able to achieve 200% of the federal poverty guidelines, twice the amount that the federal government says you need to be out of poverty? Have they achieved that and sustained that? Um, and I think that that is where we have to head, and we need to do it very quickly, because uh, just to give you an example, in New Mexico, 39% of our population is now on Medicaid, and that means that their income is less than 138% of the poverty guidelines. And 100% of the poverty guidelines is 20,000 for a family of three. So imagine just how many people are, it's roughly four out of every 10 in our state, are underneath this $27,000 a year figure for a family of three. You can't put it all together for that amount. So you have to spend time chasing additional resources from programs that are set up to do that. But what really is needed is an overhaul of all of our expectations about this economy, our democracy, our compassion, and our ability to make things happen when it comes to eradicating this condition. 
Well, how was it that you first got the idea of creating circles around people? Maybe this is a good time to explain to people what that is. But can you share with me? Because I, I really felt like you know you had cracked the code when I read your book, and I noticed mm-hmm. they kind of used that term on Amazon when I was looking at your book as well. Could you share with us a little bit about the, how you ended up there? Sure. I mean, it was through a bunch of you know millions of mistakes, things that don't work. You keep trying, you keep trying, and then suddenly something becomes really clear, and that's what happened with circles. We had been involved with a national foundation, which gave us, uh, I was working at an anti-poverty agency in the Midwest, and we had been doing a hundred different kinds of programs. And one of the things that this agency had discovered in talking to tons of people that we were serving was, we were asking the question, are you out of poverty? I mean, do you feel you have all the resources that, you know, are you making enough money to pay the basic needs in your life and then some? And the answer was no. And only for a few people who actually married somebody and then they had two jobs to uh, bring into the home, that was about the only thing that was happening for some of the folks, and it was probably less than 10%. So one of the things that we concluded was that we had to get very intentional as an organization about um, having the right kind of conversation and and, and knowing that everything happens in relationships. You know, if you take a look at anything that we've all done significantly in our lives, you can point to some of the people that became these allies and so over time, we um, just met some people who had uh, done some of this work up in, uh, in Canada around the disability movement. They were helping people become more um, freed up from institutional life by creating these circles of support. And this was at the time around welfare reform in the late 90s that I was hearing about this and thought, well, why would we use these same ideas? And in fact... All of us use use circles naturally in our our lives all of the time. Everything that we do that really is uh, fulfilling and, and, uh, you know, these accomplishments that we make in our lives, it's always through a set of relationships that could be called one of our circles. So we decided that we would figure out how to do this and just give people a lot of support, make it more enjoyable, you know, include dinner, create community, and... uh, and just get really intentional about this is going to be a community you can have for as long as you need it. Um, there's weekly meals you can come to. We'll take care of your children, put them into child care. We'll put child development programs together so you don't have to worry about them for the next two hours. And you can support each other on getting out of poverty. And then we're also going to bring these volunteers in, which we'll call allies, who have middle and upper income means and connections and networks. And together, we're going to expand your world so that you have more options. And that's, wow. in essence, what circles became. Wow. And and how many circles are there out there today around the country? Uh, there's about 80, uh, 80. Well, there's 80 communities doing circles. Some of these communities have more than one circle group going on. Uh, they're in 23 states and uh, in parts of Canada. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to dig in and, and hear some of these stories that I, I know are in your your um, your books, the story of circles. Sure. Sheriff's. Okay, guys, stay tuned with us. We're going to go take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking with Scott Miller, the founder of Circles USA. Would it be crazy if you just stopped everything, packed your bags and left for a week, a month, a year? What if you left for two years? Would people think you'd lost your mind? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? A village crowded with Buddhist temples, not skyscrapers. A place where there isn't a word for recluse, but a thousand words for community. Would it be crazy to go 5,000 miles from home 
to spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about, to build libraries and fill them with stories, prepare a meal with food you helped grow, to teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself. Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. Hemp Inc. is the first publicly traded company focused on growing and processing hemp right here in the United States of America. The USA is the number one importer of hemp, and as more farmers begin growing it here in the United States, Hemp Inc. stands ready with the only equipment in North America to process the crops. Hemp Inc. brings you all the latest products while continuing to educate the world about the healing benefits of this incredible plant. Go to hempinc.com. That's H-E-M-P-I-N-C.com. Stock symbol H-E-M-P on the OTC market. Do you know a nonprofit that could use more money to accomplish their mission? Are you working for a charitable cause right now and need funding to do more? Nonprofitfundraising.com is dedicated to helping nonprofits and charities raise the funds they need. Discover the best fundraising ideas of 2015 and compare your fundraising results with others. Learn how to grow your organization and connect with more supporters at nonprofitfundraising.com. That's nonprofitfundraising.com. Welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tinney. To call in and be part of the show, dial 1-866-472-5788 from anywhere in North America. That's 1-866-472-5788. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tenney. We're talking to Scott Miller, the founder of Circles USA, uh, an organization, a nonprofit organization that has helps communities and organizations come to people and volunteers come together to help lift people out of poverty. I'm, I'm loving the conversation here. We were talking before the break about the need out there, how the, the difference in, in incomes and income inequality has grown in this, in this country and, and how severe that problem has become. Scott, I know that you work with both governmental agencies, private agencies, nonprofit agencies, and even individual volunteers. I think some of the meetings you just had in New Mexico are a great example of, of, of where we're at. Maybe you could share with the, the folks some of those meetings you just had in New Mexico. Yeah, sure. Uh, yesterday, down in Rio Doso, New Mexico, we were convening a group of... Um, my, one of my colleagues is an economic development architect, which is an interesting term. What he does is he imagines what it would take uh, to be able to move the economy to the next uh, healthy level and make sure that we can fully employ people. And he is uh, very concerned about New Mexico, as I am, and has contracts with the Speaker of the House of our legislature. And there's a jobs council that's been put together, a bipartisan jobs council, whose job it is is to go out and build consensus in New Mexico communities about how many jobs are going to be necessary for full employment by interviewing and, and, and building up uh, focus groups with uh, leaders of different sectors. So in the room last, yesterday were the Speaker of the House, uh, legislative members of this committee, also uh, cabinet members in economic development, small business leaders, um, big business leaders. It was about 60 of us. And the conversation led to um, here are going to be some of the strategies necessary to literally create three times the number of jobs for the next 
10 years each year, three times what we do now. New Mexico generates about 2,000 new jobs, but it's clear that we need 6,500 or more every year. And so the, it's an intentional process to get all of the 15 sectors that have been identified to build out more jobs. But in order to do that, 40% of our population is on Medicaid. And so one of the things that I was able to uh, bring clarity about from my end is when people leave Medicaid, there is this thing called the cliff effect. You're either in the program or you're not. And so this is true also of uh, child care supports, uh, housing to some extent, food stamps, and even cash assistance. So these five major programs that people rely on for some uh, of their basic needs as they make more money, instead of having it be scaled, uh, you know, appropriately so that you make a dollar, then a dollar goes away of assistance. It's It can more be like you make a dollar and you lose $4 of assistance, which creates crises that are unnecessary. And these are administrative conveniences that are built into these programs, and the programs are not bundled uh, into a coordinated package, nor up to this point have we been able to calculate when people are going to hit these things easily. So we built out the first calculator in the country that can really map out and show the legislator uh, who's uh, looking at these policies, this is what the trajectory looks like. If you want the 800,000 people in in, uh, New Mexico to be able to move off of Medicaid at some point, this is what they're up against. And this conversation would never be, I don't think, at this level, in this particular way, without the economic development urgency that's in the country right now. There is a big concern about middle-skilled jobs being filled, that we won't have enough qualified workers for them. It's so much a concern that major foundations like Chase Morgan and Walmart have invested, you know, I think combined somewhere to $750 million to figure out how to help qualify more people into these middle-skilled jobs. And middle-skilled jobs, especially when a couple can pursue two middle-skilled jobs, does start providing enough income to reach 200 or 300% of the federal poverty guidelines. So I was very encouraged by these uh, this discussion yesterday and the previous ones that I've been to because it's leading up to a statewide strategic plan that could actually include a major set of strategies to reduce poverty. Well, you know, Scott, I've had the privilege of talking to you last week in preparation for the show, and you were sharing some of the, the interactions you've had getting into cities and communities. Uh, when it, when mm-hmm. I think of somebody going to a, a governmental agency and saying, hey, I'm here to make you accountable, I just don't – it doesn't seem like they'd throw their arms open to you. Why – you know, your methods are proven. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe you can share with us. Why isn't this being implemented? You know, I guess that maybe that's answered my own question. I mean, what are the difficulties in, in getting them to understand the, the, the more complete solution that, that you describe in the Circles story, how Circles can help your community find new ways to resolve poverty and thrive? Well, you know, the federal government has been set up in this particular arena as an allopathic system. So it has its silos of strategies, if you will. You've got a housing organization and you've got a group that Health and Human Services that does its thing. And then it pushes money down into uh, these silos. And then when it comes, finally makes its way to the local level, it, it, um, there are requirements attached to each one of these things. And, and unfortunately, the onus is put onto families who are struggling in poverty to try to piece all that together. And also, unfortunately, to try to figure out what's going to happen when they leave these programs. So this is just, I think, 
the problem of creating an accountability system that is dealing with symptoms rather than the underlying causes of these issues. So I think what we have now is much more general uh, uh, urgency and general uh, a feeling in the culture that we should be more holistic about everything that we're up to. That, you know, we're in these biosystems and we have to protect these biosystems to continue our lives. And we're also in uh, ecosystems uh, of the economy. And that has to become more sustainable. And it isn't just about me making enough money to make it. If my neighbor isn't making enough money, it does affect me. And it affects me now more than it even used to. So there's an awakening, I think, about we're all in this together and... Uh, what, what I do is simply point out, if you want to solve your economic problems, let's solve the poverty, because that's where you're, you're going to have to get folks who are now in poverty into your workplace. You can't attract people to a community that has high poverty rates right now. You can, I mean, so, you can't attract uh, businesses to a new community like that. So maybe that's part of the answer to this next question, probably. So for, this, for people that are listening, they might be sitting in a nice home in the suburbs uh, and, and not really seeing poverty. How, how might poverty affect them? How does the income inequality affect that person? Well, it's, <laughs> so that's, everyone's highly unique, so it'd be hard to come up with sweeping generalizations about this, but I will tell you in general, our strategy is to increase the poverty IQ of the community. Mm. And we do that by a couple of ways. We, um, we have poverty simulations that are two and a half hours long and uh, any community can actually get this kit from uh, one of our partner organizations. You can just contact our, our office and they'll let you know how to get a hold of this. But these kits provide a way for people to hold um, a, a two-and-a-half-hour simulation and then process what people experience in this. And it gives you the overwhelming sense of the chaos and urgency and frustrations involved with trying to meet your basic needs through the way the system's organized right now. Wow, so it's a a two and a half hour. uh, So you actually take on the persona of somebody who's living in poverty. Wow, that sounds fun. You get a role assigned to you, like, uh, and I've gone through this a couple times. I'm in the field, and I still was just irate by the time the process was over. So it's a very (laughs) strong simulation of, you know, you're a 14 year old. You got a single mom trying to take care of everything. She's just got evicted. She can't get across town to get this, and it goes on and on. So you then have to navigate, and every uh, 15 minutes of this experience represents, uh, it's been a while since I've done it, but I think it's a day or it might be a week. But anyway, it gives you a really raw experience of it. These kinds of of activities are useful, but then people need to know what to do about this. Okay, you, you got me all ticked off, now what? Right. And we're really big on the now what, and what we want people to do is to develop uh, a relationship with people who are wanting to get out of poverty. They, they have a, a feeling that can, they don't know how to, they don't feel they have enough support to do it. And then the middle uh, or upper income folks in the suburbs who have, a, have figured that out, they're comfortable, can now give back in a way, uh, in two ways. One is to be uh, an ally, which is the role of the ally is somebody who's a supporter, you're listening, you know, people who go through our, Circles program take a 12-week class to put together their long-term plan and to get to know each other and to really understand what's out there that can help them. Then we bring in these allies who are trained to just basically listen and then wait till they get some guidance from the person that's trying to get the plan to happen. He or she is known as the circle leader. 
they're leading themselves out of poverty, and they're leading their allies in how they can be helped. So that the allies will do all sorts of things. To give you an example, we had the very first circle we ever put together uh, started off with the conversation that the, the, the mom and her six-month daughter were in an apartment that they were uh, renting and had absolutely no furniture. They just had a thinnest of a foam mattress. There wasn't any. So one of the things that we, we, we learned quickly around my comfortable kitchen table was that she's living and practically camping out in this place with nothing. And, she, and then we learned more about how she ended up in our town and so on and so forth. So as the conversation progressed, one of the questions or one of the things that she said she needed were glasses. And one of my friends who was uh, going to become her ally as well said, do you mean uh, eyeglasses? No, I mean glasses to put water into. We're just drinking out of the faucet. So, you know, you, you can't really understand what's going on with folks until you have permission to have these kind of conversations in a safe and productive setting. So what Circles does is says, let's get to know each other and make this very real, but make it safe so that you can listen, empathize, and then act in ways that have a lot of common sense to them. So we really helped set her up that evening with things that we had in our garages that we were going to get to the garage sale. We were all part of a particular church that just serendipitously was having an auction that weekend. So That's we great. To the church, these things and set her all up. And three hours later, she actually had a furnished room and glasses and everything, these kind of things. But then as the conversation progresses, she said, uh, you know, I have this dirty little secret. And we thought, wow, this is really becoming, you know, pretty, uh, intimate and safe quickly here. So good. What's that? And uh, I don't have a GED. That was the big deal. So uh, I said, well, let's let's focus on that. And she got that. She continued on with other things, got herself a full-time job with health insurance, and eventually uh, played a big role in launching the very first Circles Project out in Iowa. And eventually uh, was able to move back to California, where she had uh, come from, and reintegrate back into her family with a much stronger sense of who she was and has been there ever since. And that was wow, what a, 12 what a years ago that she made that move back to California. But it's, you know, that there are thousands of these stories now and they all are different because everyone's got this very unique starting place that they come into this conversation with. Well, so what types of people, for the people that are living in poverty, uh, especially in, especially those in extreme poverty, um, what types of people might come to a circle and benefit from a circle? Is it single mothers? Is it is it families? Is it uh, people uh, in the it's streets? All the, it's it's everybody. I mean, one of the one of the criteria that we have is that if people um, have an active drug addiction, they need to get that taken care of. They need to get into some treatment. We need to know that they've got a, a recovery program because we're working with volunteers and we're not wanting them to be interventionists. Uh, when, in fact, there's services out there that can do that. And we help people get into those kind of services before they get into circles so that once there's enough recovery, they can um, enter into circles and and feel more confident that they can follow through on plans and that uh, they're not going to slip back into the addiction because if that does happen, the allies are going to pull back at our request and just allow uh, the circle leader to deal with that. Because it's going to be, there's no way to keep jobs. You know, people can't drug, pass drug tests. We can't help them get into jobs, which is ultimately what most people are going to need to do when they come into circles to get out of poverty. Well, what do you say to people that, 
that claims that the reason people are in poverty is because they have a, a, a drug issue or a mental issue. Yeah, they need to address it. So right. the question then becomes, what do you do to help people address their right. addictions? Gotcha. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, I want to talk about being an ally. For those of you that are listening, this is a way that you can actually get involved with circles and you can have the rewarding experience of working one-on-one with somebody or as part of a group, I should say. I'll let, well, you know what? I'll let Scott explain it after the break. We'll be right back. Do you know a nonprofit that could use more money to accomplish their mission? Are you working for a charitable cause right now and need funding to do more? Nonprofitfundraising.com is dedicated to helping nonprofits and charities raise the funds they need. Discover the best fundraising ideas of 2015 and compare your fundraising results with others. Learn how to grow your organization and connect with more supporters at nonprofitfundraising.com. That's nonprofitfundraising.com. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? If you did the unexpected? Would you feel scared? Proud? Relieved? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Or assisting an entrepreneur in Ukraine to launch her small business? Or creating a support group in Malawi for children orphaned by AIDS? What if you established your own path? One that others might follow? Would you rather make your own way? Or spend your life saying, what if? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps. To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580. Or go to peacecorps.gov. Close with Chris Tinney. To call in and be part of the show, dial 1-866-472-5788 from anywhere in North America. That's 1-866-472-5788. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tinney. We're talking to Scott Miller, the founder of Circles USA and the author of the story of Circles, his new book that's out, How Circles Can Help Your Community and Find Ways to Resolve Poverty and Thrive. And folks, this is a book I think everybody should read because it shows you how to lift the people around you up out of poverty, how to circle somebody and help them accomplish a mission. And you're doing it together with some other great people. Scott, you were just sharing with us some stories that come from the Circles experience. Right. Well, on the other side of the relationship, we have allies, people that, uh, you know, they, they want to give. We all have a need to give, and we all have a need to contribute to make a difference in other people's lives. And Circles becomes this way to do, rather than just giving checks or, or volunteering in particular ways that I would call uh, our transactions, here's a unit of service, or here's this, or here's that, this is a way to build a relationship. The allies commit to at least an 18-month uh, relationship to support someone intentionally, around their plan. And I've had, uh, there was one uh, professor that we worked with who um, had retired pretty early. So he's in his early 50, 51, 52, somewhere in there, and was really looking for meaning. And one of the things that we noticed about everyone that was coming to us that wanted to volunteer is that to really be okay, it seems we all have to have enough money, of course, to live, but we also have to have enough meaning and enough friendships. 
And one of the things that we were offering everybody, including people in poverty, not in poverty, et cetera, was this was going to be an opportunity to have more meaning and more friendships. And we were together going to tackle the barriers out in the community that made it difficult for everyone to be able to get out of poverty. And one of the things that he wrote to me that crit that the end of the year around the holidays was just how his life had changed. The, the permission that was given to him to do what he could do to help people was such a source of joy for him. And it just moved him out of his own isolation. It moved him into a higher sense of meaning and purpose. And I think that is uh, one of the things I like about Circles the most is that it, it, it fills a need for everyone in the community that gets involved with it. There's something that they're trying to, to uh, enhance their life about. And solving poverty, there's no reason. About two-thirds of the population in our country, you could say, are, are prospering and doing fairly well in this system. But what about the other third? Because we've got about a third that are really struggling. And if we can turn our attention enough away from all of our, uh, let's just call them uh, first world problems, if we could turn our attention for a while away from all of that distress and put it on to people who have really serious needs to have enough concrete needs be met and figure out how we can then, how they can also help the next group of people, then we've got something that is very exciting It's way beyond all of us because it creates this momentum and energy out in the community that can really revolutionize how we live together, you know, how we function in this democracy, how we build community, how we address issues like poverty, and what, what can we do to make sure that people all have an opportunity to thrive in their work? Why is it fair that some people spend their whole lives in just dreary jobs and, and, uh, and suffer poverty? It isn't necessary, not, in this, not, not with the privilege and the format and the platforms we have in this country. They all could be retooled to go for much higher rates of prosperity, and that right. That's exciting. I think, is what we're all up to at some level. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, for those that might be thinking about wanting to become an ally, I know we've talked a little bit about it. Uh, we have the circle leader who is the person who's being helped, and then I know that they have two or three allies. That's the people that have volunteered to help support them. What does that actually look like? I mean, are you are you interacting with your, your circle leader, the person you're helping every day? Do you, do you meet the other no. allies that are helping that person, or uh, do you go to a central location? Is it a phone? Maybe just describe what that acti- what those activities might look like. The answers, Chris, are no, yes, and yes. So <laughs> <laughs> you're not meeting with them every day, unless, of course, you want to do that, and they made sense for both of you to do that. Uh, there's tremendous flexibility built into circles on how you want to have a relationship. But the expectation is that you come to the first meeting of the month. So, for example, this can be on the first Tuesday, or this could be on every Tuesday uh, night, and many of them might meet at a church or at a community center or somewhere that's easy for everyone to get to. And the allies in the circle leaders meet the first meeting of the month. It's called Match Night, and it looks at the game plan for the next 30 days, and it reviewed, you know, the circle reviews, how did it go the last 30 days. Then the allies are uh, brainstorming about what can we do in the next 30 days based on what the circle leader is saying that he or she is going to be doing. Uh, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to have this issue with the car. I've got this, that. And they start just brainstorming. They have access to all the other allies in the room and all the other circle leaders in the room if they are finding themselves up against a problem that they can't solve as a trio, and there's two allies for each circle leader, minimum, sometimes three. Uh, so then you have this whole other network that you can tap into, and then, of course, they all have their networks. So 
Right. Uh, things can happen pretty quickly uh, once you're clear about what it is you're needing to do in the next day or week or month. And then over the month, there's often people texting and checking in and phone calls, and maybe there's a get-together, and sometimes they just have social things. And then we ask the allies to come back to one of the other three meetings that are happening that month, and we ask circle leaders to come to all the meetings. And at these other meetings, uh, on the second, for example, Tuesday of the month, the allies also can come back and just talk about being a better ally with other allies. So we have these ally support sessions. And they can also come back to the fourth meeting of the month, which is the big view meeting. And that's where we take a look at our results. We take a look at what the barriers are. We take a look at what's the conversation we want to have the media next. Because uh, there's a lot of insights being brought to the table now about what people are needing and what should be changed. And all of that is discussed at the big view meetings. And uh, one of our first big view meetings in Iowa, the governor came because his son was an ally and was able to, um, you know, and first thing the governor said was, we talk about circles in our at our dinner table, you know, we, and here <laughs> are great. policies, I think, that we, and he's now the Secretary of Agriculture. Governor Vilsack that, became that's Secretary great. of Vilsack. So there's, there's, it's, you know, it's been an interesting journey to see what happens when people really get into these relationships and also run big systems. Things change. I could right, tell you right. a lot of stories about that, but that's what allies can do. They can open up new doors and advocate in the way that our current anti-poverty system of agencies has struggled to do. There's just and, a and, different voice and, being brought in. Is there a certain kind of time frame that the allies are looking at in terms of trying to bring this person out of poverty? And, and once that person has has gotten out of poverty, do the allies move on to another person to help, or do they stay in contact, or how, do, how does that look? It all depends. And uh, really, the circle leaders are getting themselves out of poverty. They're using the allies as one of their supports. So the allies need to understand that their role is to be a part of the puzzle, but they're, they're not really in the driver's seat. And so uh, that's right. an important distinction that we make in the training. Uh, secondly, uh, they may want to continue the relationship for longer. Some people... Uh, I've had relationships with families for uh, 10 years because I bonded with the children. They were young, and then they graduated, and I was there when they were graduating. (laughs) That is completely encouraged and possible, but the formal commitment is to at least an 18-month help people with their plan for at least 18 months. Wow, that's exciting. Well, uh, let me. I'll tell you what. I'm going to knock this next break out so that we can get it out of the way, and then that way we can finish up and talk about uh, how people can start a chapter, a little bit about your book, and we can do all of that when we get back right after this break. I'm Elena. I have a master's degree in giving hope to children in Ethiopia. I'm John. My farm experience helped villagers in the Philippines feed themselves. I'm Nanaya. I have a degree in making an impact for generations to come. If you have a degree in agriculture, the environment, or teaching English, you actually have a degree in doing more than you ever thought possible. Peace Corps volunteers can truly make a difference in the lives of people all over the world. With your skills and education, you could help create an irrigation system for a small village in Paraguay, or share new teaching methods to educators in Moldova. The experiences you'll gain in the Peace Corps will stay with you forever. This is your chance to make a real difference, a difference only you can make. Explore how the Peace Corps can fit into your future. Visit peacecorps.gov. My resume. My resume. My resume now includes changing lives. Do you know a nonprofit that could use more money to accomplish their mission? 
Are you working for a charitable cause right now and need funding to do more? Nonprofitfundraising.com is dedicated to helping nonprofits and charities raise the funds they need. Discover the best fundraising ideas of 2015 and compare your fundraising results with others. Learn how to grow your organization and connect with more supporters at nonprofitfundraising.com. That's nonprofitfundraising.com. Hemp Inc. is the first publicly traded company focused on growing and processing hemp right here in the United States of America. The USA is the number one importer of hemp, and as more farmers begin growing it here in the United States, Hemp Inc. stands ready with the only equipment in North America to process the crops. Hemp Inc. brings you all the latest products while continuing to educate the world about the healing benefits of this incredible plant. Go to hempinc.com. That's H-E-M-P-I-N-C.com. Stock symbol H-E-M-P on the OTC market. Welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tinney. To call in and be part of the show, dial 1-866-472-5788 from anywhere in North America. That's 1-866-472-5788. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Up Close with Chris Tenney. We're talking to Scott Miller, the founder of Circles USA and the author of The Circle Story. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And We just got done talking about how you can volunteer as an ally. You can be matched with some uh, what they call a leader. That's the person that's being assisted in lifting themselves out of poverty. Uh, we talked a little bit about how he, he came up with the whole idea of circles and, and how it works a little bit. Um, folks, if, if you have not experienced you know doing some volunteer work with the people that are underprivileged and the appreciation um, i've had grown men cry because i've handed them a peanut butter and jelly these are these are things in my life that that are definitive moments you know every once in a while you look at certain times in your life and you say you know what that fundamentally affected who i am today and for me that was when about three or four of my friends well three that year and one the next it's not three or four it's four died on the streets uh, in, when the winter came in and it snowed and they, they had no shelter they had no support group and I just realized the reason when I read this book when I, when I read Scott's book it, it, it just touched me in such a way is because I was on the streets. I saw how if you don't have a you know driver's license, you can't. It's hard to get a driver's license. You got to get your birth certificate. You usually need a credit card. If it's in another state, they've got to mail it somewhere. You don't have a mailing address. I mean, there's just all these things that are stacked against you. And and when I looked at the people that had actually been successful, not on the scale we're talking about today with circles that they really has the potential to fundamentally change communities, if not society. The when I when I when I looked at the, how these little things, somebody needed a bike to get to work, and now all of a sudden, just because they happened to be there where we were sharing food, they would meet one of the volunteers that, that might have a bike. And because they got that bike, they were able to get a job. And because they were, you know, had people rooting them on. And I saw this on a small scale. So when I, when I read you know, Scott's first book, I was really touched about how effective it was. Plus, you know, I used to own a brokerage firm too. And, and you know, I used to say we hire people from the hype schools. That's Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. For those of you that don't know what the hype schools are, you can get the acronym of that. And, and, and the reason is because birds of a feather flock together. We know that the biggest, the biggest indicator of what you're going to make as an income in your life is really the family you were born into 
And if you look around at your five closest friends, you, there's a, a more than a 90% chance you make within 10% of the average income of your five closest friends. So it made total sense to me that if we could, could interact with, if we could mix it up a bit, if we could sh- show some people some perspectives that they might not even be able to have from where they're at. And, and, and it's one of the reasons Taish and I have always lived in, in not the, the best neighborhoods in town. They're great people, but they weren't the high-income neighborhoods because I just realized that if I'm walking down the street in, in Orange County and Newport Beach and past all the Ferraris and the Mercedes, there's not a lot of impact I'm probably going to have in their life. Maybe I could. I don't know. But, but, but at the end of the day, when I hand a sandwich to somebody or help them get a meal or help them advance the quality of their life, as Scott said, we are advancing our own communities, our whole community. And even if you don't think it affects you, it's affecting your taxes and how much money is being taken out. It's taking out the quality of education that your children are getting. More than half of the children in, in school today in America are living below the poverty level. This is the first time in 50 years this has happened, 51%. So, Scott, I, maybe you can continue to share with us a little bit about uh, allies and how if we want to get involved. Now, I know you, you mentioned all the different cities and states that you have circles. What are the different ways people can get involved even if they don't have a, a chapter in their area? Well, to find out that they do have a chapter, they can go to our website, which is circlesusa.org, and go to the location tab and just see if uh, their community is listed. Um, there's a good chance it won't be listed since there's about 2,500 communities <laughs> or 25,000 communities I mean, across the country, and we're in 80 of them. But it's possible that in their state there is one of these, which can be uh, – they can that community can be an ally – to getting one started in your own. So if you're in one of the 23 states we're in, and there are probably conversations going on in at least 12 other states right now, right. the best thing to do would be to contact our office, just uh, you know, 888-232-9285, and you'll, uh, you'll hear uh, Gina's voice, and Gina will, can guide you through uh, what it takes to set up a chapter. And one of the things you can do is take a group of people and see if you can't visit a nearby chapter and just experience one of their big view meetings uh, or a meeting that they might suggest you could bring a group. And then that group can start working with us. We can provide some material on what it would take to create a chapter and build one in your own community. Uh, and again, those, those neighboring communities that are doing circles would become uh, great allies for helping with that. And then we would help people get it set up too. Um, if uh, uh, Short of that though, if that wasn't what people wanted to do, I might suggest that you find a way to get involved with local programs that are addressing poverty and then just find the ones that really have this long relationship and tension. Uh, there could very well be some approach in your town that you could uh, see, oh, boy, I could really make a difference here. And you may find your way into some conversations at higher levels of impact. And you can certainly go to our website and read up on our perspectives and download anything that you thought, think might be useful to bring into those conversations. But what the country really has to do, and the sooner the better, is get really intentional about helping at least 10% of those in poverty in their community out of poverty. That number, we feel, could be a potential tipping point to changing the way the system works. Uh, Right now, you could say the system is uh, working to hold a third of the population at some level of poverty. But it can be changed, and part of it is just the intentionality of it and getting this conversation and dialogue up to a higher level, because once people in uh, greater influence as those circles, when they start to really understand what the experience is like for people in poverty and how much of it that we are that we have in our communities, 
and that there are ways to solve that, then they will move on that. They will move on the best information that they can get their hands on often. So we just need to uh, be bold about these uh, goals. This 10%, uh, you know, in this country would be uh, about 5 million families out of poverty. So I think we need to start thinking about what that's going to take and do it. And we do have the resources. This country is... Uh, resource rich, so we can put this attention now on what I think is the one of the top moral issues of our time, and it's now becoming one of our economic issues as well. So there's an overlap between the moral uh, imperative and the economic imperative of solving poverty. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that there's there's very few things that that rival not only the the need, but but the impact that you have. I mean, because when you when you lift a family out of, or when you help a family, I'm gonna get the wording right here. When you help a, a family lift themselves out of poverty, uh, you I mean you're affecting generations to come. You're not you're not just right. effect, affecting. I mean, you're you're really making fundamental changes for future generations, and and that's why I, I I get so excited about it. And if if you're listening to this show or listening to the on iTunes after the show was uh, broadcast, you know go to circlesusa.org, take them up on that contact. There's an email you can send an email uh, from their page. You can call them on the phone, and you can find out where the closest circles is to you. And if it's not close enough, it can be one that maybe you visit, and you can start working to bring circles to to your community. Um, Scott, I know you you're, you've just come out with a new book, uh, Circles. Mm-hmm. The, the and and I. I'm really excited about this book because I think for people that are really wanting to have an impact, whether they get involved with circles or not, this is a book that I think everybody should read. It really, it really, you know, shows people exactly how you're doing it, and and maybe you can share with some people your intention behind the takeaways you wanted people to have when they read your book. Sure. Well, I'll first mention that one of the things we wanted to do was to get voices from across the country to talk about their experience with circles. So there are five different kinds of roles that people are discussing in the book, and uh, there are. One of my goals was to make this book, uh, you can read it in a couple of hours and, and get the full feel of this work. So I'm really happy about it. We had 21 people uh, send in stories that were then edited and put into this coherent uh, storyline. But you can hear the stories of circle leaders from their own uh, perspective about what happened to them in circles, allies, people that set up the programs at their agencies. We have United Way organizations and churches and goodwill organizations, all types of organizations have set up circles. So you can hear uh, the stories of some of these directors about why they did it and what it took to do that. We also have stories from people who have donated to circles um, and why they donated uh, to circles over uh, all the other options they had. And then finally, the researchers are weighing in on why they think circles is significant in the context of all other strategies that have been out there and why they have gotten behind it and are continuing to push the envelope on what we know about what to do. Wow, that's exciting. And, and so the book is available on your website, or I know it's on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon. It's on, on Amazon, and we use, we use Amazon. It's a, it, uh, it becomes the easiest way for us to distribute that. So all you need to do is go, uh, you can Google the Circle Story and then use my name next, and it'll pop right up. Or you can go to our website, and there's a link. Oh, is there a link on there? Um, and, but, and, and, oh, just real quick, I yeah. wanted to give out your website as well. I, I know you're being humble here, but if people go to cusafounder.com, that's your, your personal website where you're sharing your blog and some stories, and I know there's a link to your book off of cusafounder.com. 
circlesusa.com, which stands for circlesusafounder.com. Uh, or you can go to circlesusa.org. And again, there's contact right. information there via phone, phone, phone or email. Um, and so, so what's been your experience when you're talking to people after they've read the book? Are they, are they surprised at this? I mean, I think a lot of people are surprised at the size and scope. We talk, keep talking about these little circles, but you actually have 8,000 volunteers across the country that are part of circles in one way or another. Right. Uh, well, the first person I read it was my mother, and she loved it. So I was on the right track <laughs> after that. I thought, good, good, good. There you but, go. Um, if my your mother doesn't love it, you got to stop the presses. One of my biggest allies, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's your mother active. doesn't love it, you got to stop the presses. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but the reaction from the book is that the book really gives people a quick insight into what Circles is and what it might do for their community. And it also is a hopeful book because it's just... Uh, people have said they've just wept through this. And, and I mean all sorts of folks that wouldn't normally even share the hand that experience, but it's just very moving. This, when people write about their own stories, and particularly the, the, heroic, effort, the heroic efforts of getting out of poverty, uh, that, and when you've been in generational poverty, and suddenly, you, you, not suddenly, but over a three-year period of being involved with us, your life's changed, and now you're in a position. There's one story in here of a woman who now says she helped her mom also through circles to get out of poverty. So all three generations for the first time ever are out of poverty. So it's powerful. And, you know, I think uh, it's partly because we're just using natural principles that exist in our lives anyway, these circles. It's just a matter of making it a more intentional circle for this particular kind of purpose. Well, thank you so much for doing it. We are up against the clock. Scott, I want to thank you so much for being on the show with us today. And oh, I want to it's our pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. And folks, if you're uh, just tuning in or if you're catching the show on the recorded version, we'll have links to everything mentioned on the show, the books, uh, circlesusa.org. We'll have all the links there at christenny.com. You can click on Up Close. We'll be posting it on our Facebook fan page and sharing with you also some other things, the video of TED, of TED Talk video that, that Scott did that's incredible. And I didn't get a chance to even get into his, you know, how this has affected him since he's been doing this kind of work. I hope to have him on again. And I hope you join us again. Remember, it's not just about this one hour. I hope you go to Good reads our, our online community and goodreads where we help select authors that are, are writing books that are actually making a difference in the world so that i can interview them here on the show and, and we can do that together and on facebook where you can meet others that are passionate about missions like this of helping lift people out of poverty so thank you so much for joining us today on up close with chris tinney we'll be back next week 5 p.m pacific on the voice america radio network This is the end of the show. You don't have to let the conversation end now. Visit ChrisTinney.com to learn more about today's topic. Listen to past shows and connect with like-minded people. Up Close with Chris Tinney is broadcast live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel and rebroadcast online and throughout North America in select markets. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing, and we'll see you next week on Up Close with Chris Tinney.